is Berlin? Is it a way too affordable city where disenfranchised youth come from near and far to do cheap drugs and act like important artists? Or is it a city on the brink of gentrification where young entrepreneurs come hungry for opportunity and sex parties? Or perhaps it's to be known as the nucleus of power for all of Europe, which sits as a beacon of hope and a new home for thousands of refugees looking for a chance at a life that doesn't include war. To me, Berlin is a beautiful disaster, too organic and kinetic for one simple definition. Berlin is so many different things to so many different people. But one thing is for sure, it is to be experienced. And one of those people experiencing Berlin every day is Vice News photojournalist Alexander Kagan. I talk with Alex about some of his Vice stories involving debt dodgers. These are young Americans who have so much college debt, they actually run away to Europe to not pay it. We also discussed the refugee crisis, which has become a complete catastrophe. Donald Trump, the Fraggles, and his husband's generous donation of sperm to lesbian friends. I can't thank Alex enough. He was super honest and very generous with his time. So here it is, my talk with Alexander Kagan. You know, Berlin, they say, is really not like Germany, though. Right. I, I would say it's I have more in common with someone from Berlin than I do with someone from Ohio. A hundred percent. I tell that people all the time. They're like, oh, you're American. I'm not American. I'm a fucking New Yorker. Yeah, seriously. It's two separate worlds. I, I have no idea what happens in the middle of the country. Yeah, no, me knew. It's very confusing. I'm from Philadelphia and it's just, it's, it's a whole yeah, thing. So, you know, past the Mississippi, I mean, fuck that. Past Pennsylvania. I, I don't, I don't very know. Very unclear. Yeah. I, I have no idea. And, and then I have to apologize because this whole Trump popularity, I have no idea, guys. <laughs> I can't even, I don't even understand who those people are. I'm like, I don't get it. Actually, it kind of relates to the, um, to the Vice story a little bit in the, the comments section has been really blowing up with a lot of really diversified and really, for me, very foreign opinions about people that are very upset and kind of equate this student loan debt dodging thing to like so many other things so fast. All of a sudden, like everybody is talking about Trump and you're like, I don't know that this has to do with that. And Well, that's the beauty of him because he's, he's managed to fit his name into every conversation about every topic that is going on in America right now. Even internationally. It's so funny how, um, how much Germans will even follow like primary stuff. I'm like, what? I'm, <laughs> I could tell you very little about the German political stuff, but I have like Germans being like, hey, how about that? You know, well, are you going to vote for Trump or Hillary? I'm like, I, I don't vote in the right. Iowa caucus. But, uh, <laughs> but also you're just like, wow, how do you? They're like following it almost more than I am. America is so important to the world. Whatever goes on over there matters. I had the, um, I mean, it was nice because I really enjoyed doing it, but the, one of the first five stories I did was um, about the refugee crisis and it really stole my ignorance. Yeah. It really took it away from me. I think as Americans, you kind of have this idea that you can like sort of float by and ignore. And I don't know, I think when you're in Europe, especially with a crisis like that, it all of a sudden becomes like on quite literally on your doorstep. You know, the problem with Americans is they're ignorant to everything else except when it directly relates to them. Yeah, and I found that to be true. It, it is because of that, the fact that, you know, we are so important, like I just mentioned before. But at the end of the day, if you look at like a regular American news broadcast, it's always local first, yep. you know, then the weather, then the traffic. And then the last two minutes is international news. I know. It's crazy to me. As local as possible. Yep. Hyper local. 
How about all this new stuff? Where <laughs> they'll talk about like online activity. They'll be like, somebody tweeted. And it's all of a sudden, it's like a local news story about who tweeted what about what. And you're like, I don't, I can't with this. Well, they're dying to catch up with social media. And, you know, it's they're crazy. trying to figure it out. And they just, they, they can't because the, the, mo- the advertising model in America doesn't allow that. And yeah, I know. We're kind of in a flux right now between Netflix and, and streaming and, and getting what you want when you want. Because all these old media conglomerates, these huge corporations with thousands of employees, they're so used to just putting something out there and having people absorb it. Now they got to fight. They got to fight for everyone's attention. And the only way to do that is to post shit that's been retweeted a million times. Yeah, it's insane. (laughs) Or cat videos. I know, or literally cat videos. You know? I mean, so what, what brings you to Berlin? So I had a friend that moved here right out of school. But me and my, my boyfriend, now husband, went came and visited her, really liked it here, and then we moved here to make theater. So we recently got into the funding system here too, which is such a huge bonus. Oh, you mean like the the, the government, they pay you? Yeah, yeah, they pay us a little bit for, we're, we're just kind of at the beginning of this journey, but getting city funds to make theater work at institutions here, which is amazing. They really help the arts here. Yeah, exactly. And in the States, that's just not the case. There's nothing. It's, it's the first thing cut. It's a first budget cut, like repeatedly on a local level, on a state, on a civic level. Remember they wanted to kill Sesame Street? (laughs) Yeah. Sesame Street's on HBO now. Did you see that? No shit. Sesame Street is on HBO now. Damn. I didn't know that. They couldn't pay their bills anymore. The children's television workshop. I'm such a child of the eighties. You know, I like, I love the fraggles. I I blame them for like my high school drug addiction. (laughs) Well, also don't forget the trivia that the, that actually, I just found this out. Fraggle Rock also was on, it premiered on HBO. Yes. Oh yeah. I knew that already. Oh, I had no idea. I was like, oh, that's, that's some progressive shit right there. I don't know why they don't bring that back. They tried to bring the Muppets back and it failed, but they, they should totally bring the Fraggles back. The Fraggles were awesome. The Fraggles, they were, they were trippy. Like, what were they? Were they ants? They were insects? I don't know. I've heard weird things. Like, it was some guy's acid dream oh, man, or, or a fever dream on acid. The beauty of it was Jim Henson. I mean, yeah, that yeah, motherfucker's puppets were off the hook. Do you know if that was Henson and Frank Oz? Yeah. Oh, that's right. Well, I think a lot of stuff was them. I know Sesame Street was them. They were fantastic. I mean, every aspect. And then he did a lot of other things too. Like, um, I think he, I think he did the Dark Crystal. Did you ever see that? Oh, I don't know. Yo, that, that was crazy. Was it was it? like, oh my god, it was like this weird other alternate universe and there was these people or like I don't know what they were they were like puppet people and then there was these other civilization trying to kill I can't even remember it I get weird butterflies in my stomach when I think about it because I always used to watch that when I was sick and I was sick a lot when I was a kid I had like ammonia and bronchitis and I was always high on antibiotics and penicillin and bubblegum medicine and I would watch this and then I would watch Bob Ross at like (laughs) 2.30 when my fever was peaking and I'd be like oh I'd be taking it personal and then you know how Bob 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 Ross is just like this American painter. He was fucking oh, awesome. No, I know Bob Ross. Dude, crazy. and like with five minutes to go, Bob would have this beautiful mountain landscaping with like these beautiful shrubs and this is yeah. gorgeous on a lake with the reflections. Effortless. Brown Effortless. ochre, you know? Yeah. And then like five minutes to go, he'd just be like, you know what? We're going to put a tree right yeah. there. And you're like, Bob. Blow my mind, Bob. And then, and then he would pull it off, you know? Yeah. With two minutes to go, you're like, damn, Bob, every time you got to give me a heart attack. Change up a whole painting. That's what Berlin reminds me of, though. Growing up in the late 80s and the early 90s, Berlin reminds me of what New York was. There's like an element of danger, ungentrified. And, and I like that. They say Berlin is where young people come to retire. Right. Sort of- Did you have that mm-hmm. in mind or, or like what was the reason? 
the mentality of moving here five years ago wasn't that I was fleeing America necessarily, but now that I'm here and have sort of seen the political situation change a little bit in America, I would say that I'm sort of a little bit fleeing America. I'm very, very, very nervous about the next election, but it's also very, very cheap rents and the international perspectives are unparalleled. But don't get me wrong, I don't want to die here. Like, I don't, you know what I'm going to do? Be like a senior citizen in Germany. So you think you'll end up going back one day? I don't fucking know. I mean, like, I, it, I don't, I, 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 I don't know. I know I don't want to die here. That's all I know. You know, I'm in the same boat. I left 2011. And ever since it's like you see an American, you're just like, what the fuck is going on over there? You passed healthcare, but what does that even mean? If you could still go broke when you go to the emergency room, there's something wrong. When I was getting this um, Vice story together, that was like a, like a lot of my contemporaries, they, and I, I, I don't know if I 100% agree, but what I'm noticing is they can't pinpoint one thing that's the problem in America. So like when we talk about people that are not paying back their student loans, that quickly became a conversation about a lot of other things in America. It's a whole judgment on the entire way of American life and, and, and American priorities and American structures and how they're all intertwined and running, you know, basic services like businesses. And I don't know, why are hospitals run like businesses? And why are, why are universities run like businesses? Well, why is like a saline solution bag, salt and water, which you use at a doctor's hospital, 20 euros in Spain, but that same salt and water, no difference, no special plastic, nothing is $500 in America. I don't understand medical that. Medical malpractice. And I don't understand how like a lot of, you know, a lot of universities or a lot of hospitals or certainly a lot of banks will pull in um, upper management or executive management level that have been at like non-parallel institutions. I remember when I was in college, the, <laughs> like the president of my college was like a former banker. What does that have to do with education? What the fuck? And that's where I first saw you. Alex wrote this really great advice article online. It's about people fleeing America as soon as they get out of college to avoid paying <laughs> the, their yeah. college tuition, yeah. which has become a huge political issue now in America. I mean, you got in your article, you mentioned it's $1.3 trillion. Who have defaulted on their debt. Yeah. Fuck. And that number, that number has doubled since that number itself has doubled since 2009 Dude. and is set to double again, meaning it should be in two, I don't know, 2.6 trillion, uh, <sighs> in, in 2025 and 10 years. The system here in Germany, it's way different. It's cheap. I mean, my wife, education, she spent literally like 500 euros a semester. That yeah. was it. It's really crazy to me. I mean, a lot of people that I talked to, too, like sort of came over here and like, you know, they'll go to grad school here. But I just do want to clarify one thing about the article because the it was ever, ever so slightly sensationalized. And I don't think anybody is necessarily that I talked to was specifically graduated and then like came over here to avoid their debt. But what I will say is when you come over here and you have debt, you just aren't chased the same way that, you know, the, the government is not able to withhold the things that they withhold from you in the States in order to get you to pay the debt. So a lot of people, I think, quickly found that there are no consequences. It's sort of like consequence free to come here and not pay, not pay off their debt. And so they're, yeah, so they're, they're just kind of like quickly yeah. done with it, let's say. But now that this article is out there, it kind of got a lot of attention. I wonder if people are going to look at this and be like, oh, that's an incredibly viable solution and actually move here with the with the complete intention of doing that. I'm sure that the American government would begin to uh, start to extradite people. 
Maybe, maybe. I think when you don't pay your student loan debts, there's a there's a dull anxiety that you get with that. Oh and, yeah, and a, and a paranoia that comes with that. So I mean, I heard a lot of crazy shit from people that I talked to who were nervous about like a debtor's prison underneath the Trump administration, or yeah, extradition, or having issues when you go back to the states at the border. But from all the professional student loan lawyers that I talked to, that's just not possible. You know, if they if they can't extradite you know Edward Snowden from Russia, they're not going to be able to extradite you know a, a debtor that owes like. $50,000. Yeah, you know, yeah. I mean, poor Josh from Ohio State University who ran away to Hamburg. They're not going to go after like, you know, certain people. But in your article, it's interesting. I mean, some of these guys, they owe like hundreds of thousands of dollars. And that's the problem. It's like there's so much pressure for you as soon as you get out of school, not just get a job, you need a career. You need a career right away. I think a lot of the people that were specifically like in sort of like my age range, I had like a very specific experience of like the mentality being, yeah, you graduate and then you get a job and then you pay back a portion of that to your student loans. And that's just the way that it goes. And the jobs, by the way, are readily available to you. But I graduated in 2007 and the the market crashed and then there were just no jobs available. Mm. And I think that there's a specific window of now, maybe like, I don't even know, 28 to 34 year olds whose experience coordinated with that who are incredibly apathetic about paying back their loans oh, yeah. just because the jobs aren't available and it's just like, you know, and, and it's, it's just, it seems like a very helpless situation. I also found that a lot of people that I talk to, when they hit their breaking point is when they realize that they're not touching the principal. A lot of people who I know that are that are just like actually struggling to make what they consider to be significant loan payments of like 100, 100, 150, $200 a month. If that's not even covering interest, that is like it's a breaking point for people. I think that it's a, they're like they, they bounce. And a lot of done. the people that you interview for this story, are they afraid? Yeah. I mean, I think that there's a dull paranoia that comes with not paying your loans. I mean, I think that this article and the research I did and it really cleared up that there's for now and for kind of the foreseeable future, if you look at the the kind of the, the history of international relations, if you if you plan on living in Germany the rest of your life, you are probably going to live consequence free not paying that debt. But again, you have this dull paranoia your whole life of how are they going to come after me if they're going to come after me. And I even had friends that were like, friends that didn't speak to me for the story but are in similar situations where they're not paying their loan debts that were like, please don't write this story. (laughs) Like it's going to bring attention. Right to it in certain ways like please and that's the thing you know how this is it's in the 24-hour news cycle do you have these politicians that are they're just hungry they want a story you know they want something that's going to politicize it and once they get their teeth into it oh your article buddy could be like somebody's platform some state senator in texas they were like you're gonna be subpoenaed you're gonna have to give the names anyway i was like i'm gonna be fucking subpoenaed you're gonna be subpoenaed subpoenaed okay uh also um if you fucking look at the comments on this vice article section it is so crazy i mean i think yeah. this story people take it very personally yeah and the, the comments section fascinating for me but the comments section has really served as a platform for people to to tell their loan story regardless of what it is for everybody to like lay out like you know like I went to this school and I paid it back and this is how long it took me like everybody is really like defending their choices in a, in a really crazy way that I really didn't anticipate and it was a good read and then the pictures are all you and your Instagram feed is very interesting too there's all these beautiful people on there like all these models do you have any fat friends or no I guess not <laughs> I guess not um, do I have do I have like fat friends? I feel like maybe I maybe everybody's too broke in Berlin to be chubby. No one has any money. I don't Everyone's even know. on ketamine and they're Everyone's dying for hungry. No one's eating. Let's be honest. And you also you do like a lot of art and theater. 
How do you apply for the money with the German state? Like, do you have to go to like some guy in like some back office who's like a pencil pusher and, you, and you're like, what we're going to do here is we're going to hang people from bungee cords over an alligator pit and we're actually going to use stop animation to capture it. And then we're going to bring it into like an art studio for a diorama with claymation. Um, no, you, I mean, yeah, it had to, so it, an application does have to be that detailed, but you have to have a supportive institution and like a lot of people apply it. So it can be a very strenuous process. It's so different, you know, for an American to understand that because Germany is a socialist democracy. That's the title, a socialist democratic republic. So you pay a higher tax and you get certain things in return like this yeah, like telephone wires that are under the fucking ground so when Which a storm so happens nice. oh my god yes i love not seeing the fucking telephone when i go home, it's, it's the first thing i notice when i go home i go home and i'm like what this is hideous yeah in new york there i think there are some under the ground but i mean the majority of where i'm from long island i mean they're all above oh ground god, it's fucking it's ridiculous i mean you, there's more money than god in america and yeah. they can't build infrastructure the roads are falling apart the bridges are in disrepair it's crazy. I mean, it's fucking horrible like two three years ago a piece of the a chunk of the brooklyn bridge fell off yeah what, what? <laughs> yeah it's it, it just it just it's, it doesn't make sense Put the money where it's needed. Yeah. You know, why does it have to be so politicized? Just fucking make it better. Why don't you just ask like a billionaire, hey, do you want to like, you know, we'll put your name on the bridge. <laughs> we'll rename the fucking bridge. But that's sort of what Mike Bloomberg does. I mean, with yeah. privatize it. You'd hear about he might run as an independent. I know. Which I would be really be I'm down with. I think he's really progressive in a lot of ways. But he, of course, privatizes everything. Yes. There was an editorial in the New York Times that was really, that was really well written. He was um, a former Republican writer, I think, for two presidents. Like a speechwriter? Yeah. And he wrote an article saying that he would not vote for Trump. Just he could not do it. He couldn't vote for Hillary in spite of Trump. So he says in light of there not being, and this was a few weeks ago before this whole news about Bloomberg, he said that in light of a third party candidate not coming, I will abstain to vote. Oh my God. My brother, he brought up a good point. Uh, this was a few months ago. He said, uh, you know, I'd vote for Trump. Oh, Jesus Christ. So I said, all right, why? And then he says some very poignant. He says, because the system needs changing. And if he got elected president, people would just be like, God damn, bro. Like America is broken. Like the yeah. political system. How, how the fuck does a reality star become the president of the United States? His, his ideology, though, is absolutely oh. terrifying to me, which brings me back to why I love Berlin. Why do I love Berlin? I'll tell you why. Because shit has already hit the fucking fan here. Shit has already hit the fan so hard here yeah. and taken, and taken 40, 40, 50 years to recover. The Germans, as austere as they are and as, you know, you can say cold. Them cold, culturally, but they really take care to make sure that shit doesn't go crazy here again in the states we're young enough of a nation where things can really still go crazy and not to make a you know a distinct you know adolf hitler donald trump <laughs> comparison but his ideology really scares me um you and, know, you, and you, you did a really cool story too you followed around a drag queen for a day which is fun he did stories about Ibiza um, with the bouncers in Ibiza and he went to the off season in Ibiza to look at the clubs there and he went into some bathroom and there was roaches everywhere and shit. Vice has been really supportive. I'm working on a story right now for Vice in the States about uh, LGBT Middle Easterners and Syrians. Wow. Because um, they've, they, well, they've had a really, they've had an incredible, this, this like a Cinderella story, like um, LGBT Syrians were, or Middle Easterners and Syrians were of course really prosecuted socially and even, um, yeah, really, really 
really in danger living in the Middle East as a gay person. And then, you know, a lot of them came over in the refugee crisis to either Berlin or to Germany at large. And they were given very preferential treatment. A lot of private LGBT um, organizations kind of helped them out, got them out of their housing situations as quickly as possible because they were very dangerous, sort of helped them with paperwork and get them processed at a faster rate. So they went from being one of the most prosecuted minorities to um, kind of like almost pampered. Pampered is not the right word, but almost, yeah, like I said, given preferential treatment. Wow. So I'm working on a story about that. And I'm working on a story right now about um, uh, male prostitutes that cater to women. I interviewed one in San Francisco. I, I, I heard that. Yeah. And he was a really cool guy. But that's interesting. So there's male prostitutes that are... That only cater to women. And that has to be so complicated. And they're gay? No, 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 no. Oh. Well, I don't know. I, I think I'll find out what maybe what they're... I'm, I'm not sure. And then I'm working on a story about um, <laughs> uh, Angela Merkel impersonators. <laughs> Like, how's that going? You know? Damn, like, yo. Yeah. Well, 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 right now, she's seen as like the mother because she's let all these refugees in. But actually, Germany is now turning back more refugees than they ever have before. Something to the effect of 200 a day. It's a huge crisis. I mean, there's, you're talking about a million people are coming yeah. to this country. This is not a big country. It's very small. And they have 100,000 that they moved up there. It's become a political issue. You have Angela yeah. Merkel's own party going against her now in a lot of ways. Yep. They want to put a number on how many people could come in. She's saying that there is no number because she knows once you put a number, there's going to be a panic. There's going to be thousands streaming in because they're going to rush to get in before the doors close. Exactly. And then you're going to have a, a really bad situation getting even worse. And there was a politician that actually sent a bus of refugees up to Berlin, basically saying, I don't have the money. I can't take you anymore. He actually did that. That's it, crazy it's, to me. Yeah, it's, it's become, and then you have like Pegida, all these different far-right groups that are kind of sitting in the backgrounds, and they're still not that popular, but they're there. And then you have the whole Cologne sexual assault incidents that is becoming even a more political situation because a few of these people were asylum seekers. and People really want to make an example out of yeah. them. Yeah, and then you have the whole threat of terrorism. I know. As a New Yorker and stuff, you're always, you know, on each subway and train in New York, it's always, there's signs everywhere. If you see something, say something. Say something. And, um, and you just wonder when that's going to happen. I know. And when it happens, what is that going to do to the refugee situation and how many people are going to start to turn against them? You oh, know? it's so terrifying. And, and, and that's the terrifying thing that because these, these poor people who are put in this situation and I've talked to some of them here. You know, I, I was in an English, uh, a German-speaking class with this woman, not even a woman. She was 19 years old. A, a missile came through a roof in Syria when she lived with her family. And, and one day, the teacher, she started bringing it up, and they started talking during a break. And, and I could see her just getting like very emotional about it because this is something that you just don't talk about. And you know how like Germans sometimes are just way too blunt? You know, it's yeah. like, relax, yeah. you know? And... She was asking her, like, oh, you know, do you miss your house? And miss your fucking house? Like, the gonna, what's, gonna, your, what's the are question you exactly? fucking serious? <laughs> You're going to ask this poor 19-year-old girl, does she miss her house? What the yeah. fuck? And she walked outside. She started crying. It could be really, I mean, I think that's why it's so important. And what I try to focus on when I'm doing refugee angled stories is, like, to focus on the human stories as much as possible. Because yeah. I mean, you can, with all this hysteria and all this like hate mongering, I mean, it's really the large, large portion of these refugees are citizens that have been taken out of their own country against their will and had to leave. And that's, it's crazy to me. 
like we don't focus on the emotions of these people and how difficult that that's sort of been and how they and not to mention how they've lived under horrifying conditions for the past 10 years in the Middle East. It's just it's been a fucking shit show for people. And the journey to get there. And the journey to fucking get here on top of it all. I mean, you're talking about thousands of miles across straits of water in the winter, cold, dealing with shady characters paying to get from this city to that city it's almost too much for my for me to focus on because for me it's like really difficult for to whether or not i should focus on how shitty life especially in like the lgbt story like right so how do you want to focus on how shitty life was for you there you want to like tell me like horrifying stories from that do you want to tell me how absolutely um broken down you were coming to europe you know like walking for 22 days bullshit <sighs> or do you want to talk about how difficult it is now that you're here to get acclimated into a society where you have to start from the bottom along with, you know, a million other people. It can be sort of like overwhelming. I would assume so. I mean, because there are so many different stories right now, these poor people, you yeah, know, I mean, where, where are you meeting these people? Just going out to the Bonhoeff? Because they're all there. Yeah. I, well, I go around with the, when I was doing the refugee story, I went around with the translator and we just talked to people, we just talked to people as much as possible. And, you know, it was hours, it was hours and hours and hours of hearing a horrifying story. Like I told you, my ignorance was absolutely taken away from me. It was, I was totally broken up about this because you hear story after story after story and, you know, you can't ask people like, Hey, how's it going for you in Germany? Like people don't want to talk about that shit until they tell you like how it's been for the past fucking decade. Yeah. How's it people going like, for me? You were like, sit down, son. Like, let's like, I'm going to like break it down for you. Well, Same. I thought about that. Uh -huh. Yeah. I mean, Germany has given them a home, they give them clothing, they give them a, a, an allowance and everything, and, and they brought them in, and, and they're providing for their families, and, but they still can't work. Yeah. Uh, um, but at the same time, these are human beings. Yeah. You know, like animals need shelter, animals need food, you know, human beings need emotion, they need love, they need laughter. If that kind of shit happened in America, everyone would just be like in rehab or dead or, yeah. you know, using. <laughs> right. Popping pills. Oh, oh pill my after God. Pill. That would be the last thing, you know, that was that was taken away from people with a bottle of pills. Where are they putting them? They're putting them in large uh, housing camps, um, predominantly in the suburbs of Berlin, until they all get registered and processed, which can take anywhere from three to eight months for people. And, you know, the more people come, the slower it gets. So getting money from the government and being able to get the paperwork to do jobs and getting the paperwork to be able to stay here, it just takes a really long time. So a lot of people still, and I wrote the story in November, so I'm not sure how it's changed because I haven't been able to focus on it so much, but a lot of people were just really living in limbo in, the, in huge housing camps. Fuck, man. In, in actually, in, funnily enough, in former GDR buildings. Which is so funny because these are like old, old strongholds of sort of um, Soviet era oppression. Yeah, Soviet era buildings that have been changed into housing for refugees. Um, so where are you going now? You got anything coming up? Yeah, I'm going to San Francisco on Saturday. Cool. Um, yeah, my, I love San Francisco. I've actually never been. I've oh never been. shit! Yeah. It's pretty as hell. Yeah, I can't wait. My husband is going to be the biological father of a lesbian couple that we know. Oh, nice! So we're going to make a baby. How does that work? Do they take the semen or he's actually like impregnating one of them? No, no, no. They take the semen. It's all very, Oh, okay. It's, all, I don't it's, know. Very, it's very dry and clinical, but we know them really well. So oh, that's it's, cool, it's, man. It's a, it's a real family situation, but yeah, yeah. So that's super intense. So I'm going, I think I, I'm actually doing a vice story on that too. Will he consider himself part of the family or? Yeah, it's everybody's intention that he stays, that he stays in contact. It kind of sort of like in the same capacity like an uncle would, that it's very clear that he's the biological father and hope, and he'll certainly be around. But of course there's no like legal. Yeah, 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 yeah. There's no, there's no, there's nothing official. That's wow. Like, that's big. It's intense, but it's like, we're everybody's, everybody involved is like really committed to like 
And I think this is the, the true for a lot of families that kind of go through sort of unconventional ways of child rearing. It's sort of like making a new world, which is nice. We're not really beholden to like rules of being which is nice. So we're all going to kind of like figure it out. How did that conversation come up? It's like, you know, I, I, um, I think you look really nice. <laughs> Literally. Well, they, I like your DNA. They had some trouble with their donors before, or not some trouble, but like the, you know, if you try so many times with the donor, the, the donor can sort of run out. And also donors have caps on them, how many times they can donate at a given sperm bank in like a county, for example. Oh. So that there's not like hundreds of kids by one father. Cause that was a problem once, right? Yeah, Didn't somebody like some guy like father like a hundred people or something like that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they're and then like the incest can run wild, especially if it's like in a regional area. Whoa. And that's why that's why they have like really strict uh, limitations on how many times you can donate at sperm banks. But um, they sort of like ran out of a ran out of a donor's um, uh, genetic makeup. Yeah. So they you want to get the good shit. Yeah, they came to our wedding and they talked to us and they talked to my to my husband Michael and they kind of um, approached us really sensitively and really wonderfully and and wow. so. It's really exciting. Dude, that, congratulations, man. That's Thank awesome. You. That's good yeah, for that's good fun. for the stats too, you know? I'll tell you something. It's a great way to have kids without having kids. <laughs> you just send a card. Yeah, love it. Oh, fuck, man. Proud uncle. Yeah, love I it. got a daughter right now, boy. She's teething. Woo! Oh, good luck with that. God damn, boy. Not easy. I got to get her defanged. And I think we'll stop right there at defanging my daughter. Perfect place. For more of Alex's art, his vice stories, and his Instagram feed, you can go to Alexander Coggin. Jim's Velt is available on iTunes, on SoundCloud, on Stitcher, and on Sprecher now. And Google+. Amazing. If you like this, please share with all your friends and family and comment on iTunes. I would greatly appreciate that. For Jim from Jim's Velt, I thank you a lot for listening. Peace.